This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. And welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Chenko. And I'm Psych88. Today, <laughs> we get to dive into the story, a continuing story, of Psych's favorite guy, our absolute favorite hairy Canadian, the Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get to continue this torturous mess. Um, so, a quick, you know, just a quick shout uh, warning, whatever. If I'm sounding a little off, it's because I'm at a different location than I usually record. Um, every once in a while, I'm required to go take a vacation, <laughs> so uh, I'm recording from from not my lo- not my vacation, but the place I'm staying at until I can go on my vacation. But that's why. Uh, so if you hear weird popping or whatever, or it sounds a little echoey, that's why. But yeah, um, yeah, we get to talk about the Wolverine again, because we need to, and at least, at least this one is okay. I can at least say that. Uh, Without getting too much more into it, though, Genesis. If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry, lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Thank you. Yeah, Psych has feelings about Wolverine. (gasps) feelings say it with me everyone psych has feelings about wolverine and you know i think you're right this movie wasn't bad wasn't good and i remember it being very non-memorable and you see i think that's we'll discuss it more in the other half of the show but it's part of the uh i think it's probably part of the problem with source material and how it all fit into his life and then making it fit now into the uh, 20th Century Fox's X-Men franchise. Also, it's worlds above Origins, hands down. It just isn't particularly memorable. And part of that problem is also it doesn't go anywhere. Like, it sets up a bunch of stuff and then falls flat because none of those threads got picked up in the other movies after this. But... Let's discuss the Wolverine. Yes, I think there are worse fates within the X-Men franchise than being considered the mm, the average one. Because we've been to much darker places and we are going to continue to go to dark places. But today, well, we're going to we're going to a, a great place. Nagasaki, Japan <laughs> in 1945. Yep. I hear it was a roaring good time. A real barn burner. (laughs) (laughs) So we're at a prisoner of war camp. And it's during the time when we're dropping a little gift from old Uncle Sam on a little little town called, called Nagasaki. 
and Logan dives into a well with an officer by the name of Ichiro Yashida and shields him from the blast with his perpetually healing body. A horrifying sight to um, to behold as Logan's flesh burns off of him and then reforms. Um, yet more gratuitous CGI on part of the X-Men franchise. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for that lovely image. By the way, I am going to be relying on you for uh, pronunciation because, yeah... <laughs> We don't we don't need to be treading any um dangerous lines with the pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, please. I uh, yeah. And uh, I'm a probably not the leading authority on that. My parents are very American. I am adopted. So it's only slightly better if I mispronounce it. Mhm. But moving on. In now our present day, Logan is living his best life as a scruffy hermit in the Yukon, and he's not quite with it. He is hallucinating about this, like, crazy redhead who he thinks maybe is is good-looking or something, and what he had to do at the end of The Last Stand, which was one of those dark corners we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And he ends up being located by Yukio. No, not the one from Deadpool. A, she, so she has a, an ability to foresee deaths, and on behalf of Ichiro, the officer that Logan saved, who's now a CEO of technology, well, he's dying of cancer, and he wants Logan to come to Japan so that he can repay his life debt. So Logan goes to Tokyo. I, I don't know. I don't know if I would get on that plane personally. Uh, so once in Tokyo, Logan meets uh, Shingen and Mariko. He offers, Ichiro offers to transfer Logan's ability to perpetually heal himself into his body so that Ichiro can survive from his cancer and Logan can stop being virtually immortal. Which, I mean, if you've been alive since like, I don't know, when was he born? A long time ago? Um, the mid-1800s, because he was, he was old enough to fight in the American Civil War. He's old, but he doesn't look it. Uh, he looks only the age that Hugh Jackman is at any given point. Plus or minus some CGI effect. Yeah, we don't gotta talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you smooth, Ian McKellen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Logan Logan refuses because he's like, no, this is this is bad. Uh, I would not wish this on anyone. And he's thinking that he's acting in his friend's best interests. But as he's preparing to leave, the doctor gives Logan something, and Logan's kind of like, ah, I just I just imagined it. it's just a bad dream. Uh, in the morning, Yukio tells Logan that Ichiro has kicked the bucket. And at the funeral, you'll never guess what happens. What? What could possibly go wrong? The Yakuza show up, and they attempt to kidnap Mariko. Uh, but, you know, superhero shenanigans ensue, and Logan manages to escape with her into, you know, Tokyo at large. So basically just losing themselves in the city. And Logan ends up shot, but he's not healing 
like he should. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. <laughs> After a bullet train fight against yet more Yakuza, Logan and Mariko end up in a local love motel, and is that not foreshadowing? Done heavy-handed. <laughs> it's, it's like when you go to salt your food and the top falls off of the salt <laughs> shaker and just a ton of salt yeah. falls all over the food. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a thing. It happens. Yeah. And then Ichiro's bodyguard meets with Dr. Green and after showing off her powers, demands to find Logan and Mariko. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> mm. So, <laughs> while on their travels, they go to Ichiro's house in Nagasaki, and guess what? You'll never guess what's happening. They're catching feelings. Logan's getting another girlfriend. You know, maybe when this one dies, he'll recognize her corpse. <laughs> oh, that's mean. Not wrong, but it was mean. <laughs> like, he killed the red-headed one, and he's having hallucinations about her, right? He does not know who she is. Uh, and then, you know, his, uh, his, little, his little girlfriend from Canada kicks the can, and he's just like, uh, it's a, yep, that's a dead body. <laughs> I mean, he was suffering from a movie-required amnesia, so, you know, we will grant him that much. Movie shenanigans. Anyway, Yukio has a vision of Logan himself kicking said can and goes to try to warn him. But before this can happen, Mariko is captured by, guess who? The Yakuza. We're in Japan. Like, basically, you have Yakuza to be like throwaway villains. Yeah, just keep just keep throwing the heavily tattooed Japanese men at them. It's fine. You need more of them to kill off, because clearly there's a ton of them that can just be cannon fodder for Logan's claws. Yep. Mm. Anyway, so Logan and Yukio go to confront the um, corrupt minister of justice, Noboru Mori, and Mori confesses that, you know, he had a, a little bit of a hand in the planning to... Um, have the Yakuza kidnap Mariko because, you know, he wants what was left to her. Little bit of jealousy. I mean, he is also Mariko's fiance. You gotta remember that part for this love triangle to work. Oh, yeah. You know, because it's never... I mean, I think maybe they should have just brought back your boy to play the... Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, if Wolverine doesn't have a type, it's uh, taken women. That would be his type. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a personal problem. Well, he's trying to um, seize the assets. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Genesis! <laughs> Go on. Guess what happens next? Um... We're, we're done with the Yakuza. What yeah. else do we have in Japan? Ninjas! <laughs> uh, they attack and they kidnap Mariko. So Logan and Yukio go and use Ichiro's x-ray to discover the little thing 
in Logan's chest that's making him not not heal so good. And he does probably like the the grossest thing and I think this would fall under I think it's called frontier surgery. That thing you do where you kind of perform a surgery on yourself that you're definitely not qualified for, but it kind of works out. Right. And he just goes, oh, this thing's preventing me from healing. I'll just cut it out. And then once it's out, I'll start healing. <laughs> Frontier medicine uh, claws out the, uh, the little parasite and, um, of course, you know, starts, starts healing. Uh, Yukio has to hold off the attacking uh, ninjas <laughs> <laughs> long enough for Logan to heal. And then he ends up, you know, finishing the job. Logan follows uh, follows the trail into into the village after Mariko and is captured by ninjas. More ninjas. You know, after after the first wave of ninjas, we need of course a second wave of ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> more and more ninjas. Yep. We get yet another scene of Logan being placed in a compromising situation within some crazy mechanical contraption. Because that's just, you know, what you do with him. Yep. He's already been injected with adamantium and put on crazy looking tables and all kinds of weird crap. Like, I don't understand their fascination with that. Anyway, so this machinery is basically just taking his healing factor and siphoning it. You know, I don't, I don't know how they make that work. They're just like, oh yeah, here's your... DNA vacuum? Because this isn't just a standard, like, blood transfusion or something. His mutant power is healing and bone claws. So whoever they're going to put this into, they're going to get a twofer one. And also, it's just, it's not quite how this works. Like, they're siphoning off his regenerative power by giving him a blood transfusion. Like, if it was that easy, they'd have killed him years ago. Definitely. Um, during this whole process, he gets introduced to not Yakuza and not ninjas, but a samurai now. Right, because you gotta hit all three tropes here. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, the silver samurai. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a robot samurai with electric katanas made out of adamantium. <laughs> Right, because we're in Japan, so we also have to have a giant robot. I forgot. Fourth, the fourth trope. It's a Gundam movie, too. <laughs> it's not just an action movie or a kung fu movie with ninjas. It's not, a mob not just a mob movie with Yakuza. It's also a Gundam movie with robots. <sighs> I love it here. Yep. In the ensuing fight... <sighs> yeah, it... I'm, I I struggled to put words together for this because it was kind of like, it almost felt out of place to have the robo fight. And that's weird to say for an X-Men movie, but I just didn't feel like it was well done. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, we'll discuss the Silver Samurai in a little while, but that's what, one of the things that wasn't particularly great about it. Yeah, so Marco escapes and, you know, Harada believes that he's working in her best interest, but uh, he manages to free Logan from the machinery and sees the error of his ways because for about ten seconds, and then you know is kicks the can because he's killed by the silver samurai while you know performing his last good deed. And 
In the meantime, Yukio offs Dr. Green. And in the fight with the Silver Samurai, you know, adamantium is the only thing that can damage adamantium. And he severs Logan's claws, which then reform (laughs) into the bone claws. Yeah, they're back. I don't want to talk about it, all right? They're gross. I don't like looking at them. Why do they got to be lumpy like that? Um, He regenerates the bone claws and, you know, the silver samurai is revealed to be Ichiro, who is not, in fact, dead. He just, you know, hooked himself into the robo body a la the shredder. After killing Ichiro, Logan passes out and has a final hallucination about Jean. And he decides, I guess. Uh (laughs) He makes a conscious effort to just let her go. Which, I mean, he doesn't really have an option. She she did. Dead dead. Yeah. But in the end, you know, all's well that ends well, I guess. But uh, Mariko becomes the CEO of Yashida Industries. And she tells Logan goodbye. Because he's going to leave Japan. And Yukio is going to stay by Logan's side as a bodyguard. Because the adamantium skeleton dude... With a broken healing factor who smokes cigars constantly and swears and drinks a lot. I don't know. Definitely needs a tiny Asian bodyguard. Yeah. And they, you know, depart into the world to parts unknown, you know, out there in the world, anonymous. We, of course, have to talk about the famous Marvel end credit scene, or the mid credit scene, rather. And it's Logan returning to the U.S. and being approached in the airport by Professor X and Eric Lencher Magneto. And they warn him of a deadly weapon that the humans are creating that are meant to destroy the mutants. Can you guess what it is? This mid-credit scene. You want to talk about mid-credit scene that went nowhere? This one. Mm-hmm. It was, it was supposed to kind of sort of tie us into... Days of Future Past, but at the same time, totally did not. Like, like there's just no way the one correlates to the other. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, this movie. So, I, I, like I said, it's problematic because it it's based on one of the first volumes of Wolverine, the solo comic. And this run was, it's the Japanese arc where you have him explaining why he knows Japanese so well and he's you know he's supposed to be meeting and he's in love with Mariko and then this whole thing kind of falls apart like we'll discuss it all it's just there's a reason this movie was meh and that's why well and then it just goes on to completely not matter at all because we don't really revisit anything that happens here correct in fact most of it seems like it got just forgotten about because when we see him next guess what kind of claws he has when did that when when does he get those adamantium claws back it's at, it's established at no point when he got his his metal bones back he just does yeah they're like this one wasn't memorable so maybe if we just forget that it happened everyone will just let it slide and i think for the most part everyone did because i personally didn't even blink an eye yeah, yeah. All right, let's go to a mid break, and we'll do some quick shout outs there, and then we'll we'll hit the comics book side. 
Welcome to the mid-break, where we talk about everything that doesn't have to do with comic books, unfortunately. Uh, as usual, if you have been with us this long, thank you very much. And if you are looking to like get in on the action here, you can become part of our Patreon, which the link to it will be in the description. We've got several tiers. One of them gets you on the show at the end of the month. We get to talk about whatever topic we got voted on that month. Um, we currently do not have any tier fours, so this month's Patreon episode will actually be a a character uh, deep dive. And if you can't support us financially, you can always drop us a review either on Apple or a rating on Spotify. Um, on Apple, you do have the capability of dropping a review with a couple of words, and if you do that, we will read it out in this part of the show. Sadly, we don't have a new one at this time. Yep. And if you're looking to just talk to us, you can always hit us up on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, and the Robots Radio Discord, where we have a channel specifically for this show. A link to the Robots Radio Discord will be in the episode description as well. And, you know, talking about the robots, Chanko, I think you've got something with Punchy Punchy going on. Just a little bit. We get up close and personal with the sport of mixed martial arts and martial arts at large on the fight space. I've been having an absolutely incredible time doing that show. I've had the opportunity to speak to a wide range of martial artists and competitors, fighters, world champions, and it's been a super crazy journey. So if you're into martial arts and you want to deep dive into that sport and get a little intro, a little taste of combat sports, if you feel hesitant about entering that environment, I definitely suggest that you check out my show, The Fight Space. Find it on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you're listening to your podcasts. And again, social media-wise, across social media as The Fight Space or The Fight Space 1 on Twitter. And, of course, on the Robots Radio Discord. You're kind of going places with this, and that's really cool. And uh, I really hope you, you know, get out there into the into the commentary side of it or and or into the ring. Start earning your way up that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a great time. Um, where else can we find you? Because I know you've got other stuff going on too. Yeah, I've got the Mass Effect Blue Shift tabletop RPG podcast. We use the Fate system. Uh, we play Citadel security agents solving crimes on the Citadel. I play dashing human agent Jack Parizo. Uh, a lot of fun. Um, I'm working on the next episode as we right after this, or at least through the next couple of weeks. <laughs> um, and they always drop on the first Friday of the month. All right. Well, uh, that is it for the mid-break. So let's talk about this stuff. So I've only got a few characters. And in all honesty, they are so... Some of them are basically direct representation from... from page to screen others aren't so i really don't have a whole lot to talk about here so just go through it real quick first we've got dr green also listed in the credits as viper this character was introduced in captain america number 110 in february 1969 by jim starenko she is actually madame hydra like the leader of hydra she's not a mutant 
And though she does have some hollowed out fangs full of poison in her mouth, it's not a power. That was a choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she's quite the character. But she's primarily in the comic books, one, Hydra, and two, that would make her Captain America foe, not Wolverine, and certainly not playing second fiddle to a Wolverine story. Um, It is unclear to me as to why this character was introduced here in this way, especially because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. would go on to establish a different Madame Hydra in their one of their seasons, season four, five, one of them. Anyway. It's the Quicksilver effect. <laughs> kind of. I, I mean, because here we don't even... Here in the X universe established here, we have no Hydra. We have no Avengers. We have no Captain America. So I I just don't know where we got the idea of pulling Madame Hydra and turning her into a mutant who is immune to toxins. Like, I, I, I I don't see the bridge that was jumped here. Yeah, makes... No, this isn't... This isn't the Quicksilver effect. This is the Alexander Pierce effect. Ah, there we go. Yep. Sounds cool. Give it a give it, give make this character that's not actually part of this story. Give him a role because the name's cool. But they went with Doctor Green. <laughs> yeah, like that's the that's like the homage to her being Hydra's because she's constantly dressed in green. <laughs> and yeah, we have another. Don't we have another Doctor Green within continuity? <laughs> It's the Hulk's, uh... <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. email. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, next is uh, Shin- Shingen. Mm-hmm. He was introduced in Wolverine number one, September 1982, by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. Like I said, uh, this is one of those characters that was a fairly faithful adaptation. The only real difference between movie and character is that in the comic book, it's Shingen who is the primary antagonist. Uh, he's pushing the Yakuza, the hands, the, he's the leader bad guy in the book. And it, he's not playing second to um, his father. He's the, he's supposed to be the bad guy. He is still the father of Yuriko. So that part's faithful. And he's also the uh, father of Harada. So we've got, we've got that going and all that. So it's all, pretty good here just not quite the ending i thought that was all going to shape up to in the movie (laughs) it was a choice it was a choice it was yet another choice because so i'm going to talk about it here now because there's really not a good time otherwise the father ichiro he's an original character for the movie he doesn't exist really within the comics um like for whatever reason, he got attached to the uh, Ogun wiki page uh, during my research. Don't know how. Don't know why. He's not Ogun. But that's... So if you like follow those paths as you do your research, that's where that will lead you. But for the most part, Ichiro is completely original. And he didn't end up getting a kind of like after film comic adaptation? No. No, no, he didn't. Yeah, he doesn't. He does not show up uh in the lore or any other book even after this movie like this movie happened and then we all collectively went no it didn't uh next we have harada 
He was introduced in Daredevil number 111 in July 1974 by Steve Gruber and Bob Brown. He is the original Silver Samurai. In the comics, he has the mutant power to charge his samurai sword, and he built an entire persona around his power. <laughs> like, when I was saying that this movie is full of tropes, well, that's because, unfortunately, the source material is just full of tropes. And you gotta think about, the you know, the comic was put out in the 80s. There's a reason why it's tropey, unfortunately. In the comics, Harada doesn't bite it at that time. He is a sometimes antagonist and every once in a while occasional anti-hero for the on the Japanese side for the X-Men. Yeah, um several several people will don the Silver Samurai over the next 30-40 years of comic book history, but Harada was the first. And he wasn't a giant mech suit. He literally had a silver armor made, and he had a some sort of charged katana. I'm not going to say kinetically charged, but he would amp up the power of his samurai sword when he held it. And that was it. Yeah, that's an anime trope. Ah, okay. So there you go. Again, one more trope to kick the bucket. <laughs> Only you have the power to bring out the full extent of the sword's capabilities. <laughs> Oof. Go, Ichigo. Oh, man. And now that you say it, yep, that's it. That's what it is. Okay. Inuyasha, you are destined to wield the Tetsaiga. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I am not at all very much into the manga or animes or anything like i've got a couple i like them i've seen others that i'm just like this is boring and moved on uh so i'm not very well versed in um eastern uh, eastern culture in in terms of that at least his swords are a big deal okay i kind of got that because literally the guy's power is to charge a kinetic or charge a samurai sword so Obviously, that's a big deal somehow. All right. Next, we've got Mariko Yoshida. She was introduced in the Uncanny X-Men number 118 in February 1979 by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. She is the cousin of Sunfire and Sunpire. And yes, they have the exact same power set. They are brother and sister. So we get this introduction, and that's where she and... Logan fall in love, and they start this long-distance relationship, while at the same time, the Wolverine's also pining for Jean Grey. Yeah, I don't know which brain this man uses, but it's, I don't think it's ever the one on his shoulders. Uh, you know, I think the, the, um, the width of the shoulders blocks the signals between the two. <laughs> I'm also uncomfortable with this movie, because the entire premise of it like we've said, is revolved around these these tropes. And here we've got Wolverine's playing white savior trope, okay? He's a white man. He comes in and he has to learn Japanese culture so that he can tame the wild beast within him. Like, come on. Come on. And here I've, I've mentioned several heavy hitters. Chris Claremont, Frank Miller, John Byrne. And I get it. 
They are a product of their time. It's 1979. It's 1982. They can only write as good as the time that they are in. I understand that. But when we come to the making of the movie, uh, yeah, comic book was made 1982. Movie was made in the 2010 somewhere, right? This was a choice. Yeah. And yeah, we, we, we looked at this comic book and said, yeah, we're going to keep most of it. And you kept, honestly, some of the most problematic parts of it. On top of this being a character I don't care for, we have a movie that relies on problematic storytelling. No matter how good the original story was, maybe when you updated it, we should have done a little bit better. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have a problem with Logan having an Asian love interest. No. I have a problem with how it was presented. Yes. There we go. Like, like, because I mean, I, I, I love to see Asian representation, but I like to see it done well. And um, where I, you know, because in our solo episodes, I talked about Shang-Chi, where Shang-Chi did it reasonably well. Mm-hmm. This did not. <laughs> yeah. This did not. It hit kind of the, I wouldn't say it hit all of the wrong notes. But it's like when you're playing a really great piano solo and one key is off tune. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And unfortunately, that key is used a lot. Not blatantly, like overtly racist or anything, but steeped in so many tropes that unfortunately, very, very many films, even today, fall into. Mm hmm. But yeah. I mean, there are worse things than being the least memorable film in the X-Men continuity. Yeah. But there are also better things, like being good. I'm looking at you first, class. Thanks for holding it down, homie. Yeah, I cannot wait till we're talking about first class. But anyway, I've got one last character to talk about here, and it is Yukio. She was introduced in Wolverine number 2, September 1982, by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. Um, in that set up and for most of her and her comic book counterpart she has no powers she is a very good street thief somewhat like uh she's a ronin you know you know a masterless samurai of some sort she's a she's a ninja like again she's a unfortunately what she is is a whole bunch of bad asian stereotypes shoved into one character and and given life and they made her female to make her cool yeah, and to be a love interest for Wolverine. She's not like other girls. She likes short, hairy white men. All right, so speaking <laughs> speaking of people she's supposed to like, um, it was strongly hinted that Claremont wanted her to become a romance for Storm, but Jim Shooter, who I believe was editor at the time, said uh, no same-sex romances would happen during his tenure. So, here we have. It's 1982, guys. Thus, rampant homophobia. And we complete the trifecta of every negative stereotype I can come up with in a movie. That was a choice. Yeah. That's all I can say about this movie. It was a choice. Like, stylistically, it doesn't fit with all the others, which, when you look at the books, it doesn't fit with everything else. This whole Japanese connection just comes out of nowhere really or at least it feels like it 
So he, but, and now you're supposed to quickly establish this deep spiritual connection to Wolverine's uh, need to control his animal side. And you wrap it in Asian stereotypes. And then you throw Asian stereotypes to fight and die at his hands. <sighs> so yeah, I think that you summed it up best. This movie was a choice. And thankfully it was one we can all just kind of, yeah, it happened. And move on. Most definitely. And move on, we did. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, I really don't have any other final thoughts on this, to be honest. It's... Do you? Not particularly, because I when I when I went into this movie as the rewatch, I thought, oh yeah, I might have some interesting fight scenes to break down, but it was Wolverine fights straight up. And and there's not much to be said. It's hack and slash. There's not really much to discuss. Yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of sad considering that they gave us Yakuza and ninjas and samurais. Yeah, and then they utilize absolutely none of it and toss the big final fight and as a giant robot yeah yeah for a man who's all about fighting he spends a lot of time chopping up robots which i get it otherwise you you run the risk of hitting that r rating a little too you know too quickly if he's just lobbing off the limbs of every guy he meets i'd prefer it <laughs> yeah he's he's a he's a street brawler with knives on his hands he he shows no technique that I that I can see, and I you know that's me being a complete noob at how fighting should work. What say you? I mean, let's say I've got an insane healing factor and a metal skeleton. <laughs> well, actually, I do because I've got uh, two titanium plates in my jaw. Right, but I don't see you going like face first into a fight. So I recently talked about Ronda Rousey versus Holly Holm, the kick heard around the world, and. When you walk headfirst into a fight, it tends to get knocked about, and we found that out when we saw Ronda Rousey get starched by an absolutely beautiful head kick, and um, unfortunately, in real life, that's what would happen to Logan, and whether or not you can heal from it doesn't particularly matter when um, you rely on your healing factor to win a fight. Um, and that's just what it is with Wolverine, unfortunately. He's one of those characters, kind of like Deadpool, who, because he can heal from an insane amount of damage, has a style that doesn't lend itself to defense. It's pure offense. Yeah, yeah. And uh, basically just throwing haymaker haymakers and swinging for the fences. And I suppose it is a fighting style, but not particularly one that's easy to break down because there's no technique. Using yourself as a battering ram or a blunt object is not necessarily a fighting style. And that's all I have on that. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think that sums it up for this movie. Um, yeah. So next week we come up to what is finally the high point of what they consider the Wolverine trilogy, Logan, which was an amazing movie, if I may say. For mm -hmm. all of my dislike for Wolverine, Logan was very good. Mm -hmm. It went a very different trajectory and leaned into that R rating. Very. And very. I will actually have some fights to talk about with that one. All right. So, oh. Shocker of the Century. <laughs> From the Wolverine movie? What? Yeah, fighting the title. Well. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, sign art, everyone. Night, everyone. <laughs>
As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In 7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration. Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us. Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork. Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music. Our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this. And you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And to quote Stan the Man, enough said. I'm your host, Maverick Stone. It's me, Gingerino42. I'm Romer. Hey, this is Sassy Lady. And I'm Jaxus. And we... We are the Fallout Roundtable. Join us as we explore various topics from the Fallout universe brought from multiple perspectives. We can be found on your favorite podcatchers from Spotify to iTunes. Or follow us on Twitter at FalloutRTB or our email FalloutRTB at gmail.com. Be sure to rate, follow, and subscribe. Thank you.